Today our scripture reading will be John 7, 37 through 38. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 4, church. I want to start off with a question. You enjoying the Olympic Games in Pyeongchang? <laughs> I love saying that. Say it. No, I'm not going to say it. You say it with me. If you say it, though, you've got to say it right. You've got to say it through your nose, Pyeongchang. I'm loving it, um, especially this last evening. Well, starting with curling. Anybody here ever heard of curling? Anybody here watched any of the curling here? I, I, I had to go watch it on YouTube. They don't show it on the primetime stuff, and after you've watched it on YouTube, you'll recognize why. <laughs> it's an interesting method of shuffleboard, actually, on ice, and it's played by people who have nothing to do in the winter. <laughs> and needed to come up with something, and they came up with curling. But actually, I've been loving watching the speed track racing. I, I love watching uh, the alpine skiing, but I loved watching what was the young man's name here the other night I've got it down here in my notes yeah Red Gerard uh, dude the guy can board <laughs> and he did last night I mean unbelievable how he pulled off the very last he was probably he was in 11th place I think and of course they take the best out of three jumps and I mean he absolutely nails the last one and uh, and ends up winning the gold medal 17 years old from Colorado uh, just was thrilled and and it's our first gold medal as, as Representing America, so that was all fun, but I share any of that because um, Jimmy has a sports antenna and When the sports antenna is up, I don't hear much anything else conversations noises uh, Just about everything else goes by the wayside I think Gail will be the first to tell you that when the sports antenna is up uh, nothing else matters much now I'm up here confessing something, and I doubt if I'm the only male who does that. If there are any women in the room who wouldn't mind raising a hand that you're married to one like that, thank you. Uh, I knew there'd be at least four or five. There's probably more. It's not so much that I have a hearing problem. It's that I have a listening problem. Well, John's gospel, I think, requires a little bit more effort to listen to well. I'm making my way back through the reading of the gospel again. Most of us here launched together the very first of January to read through the gospel of John in 31 days, and we've, we've tracked that. I'm going back through again. The gospel of John is just not easy to hear, I think, the first time, even for someone who's preaching through it. Those who are more scholarly than I am tend to believe that John wrote sometime after the first three gospels had their versions published of Jesus' story and what he meant to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They had covered their ground pretty well about what Jesus did, but I think John has a little bit different track. I think he spends more time talking about what Jesus meant. There's so many of those I am statements that are found only in John. So many metaphors of who Jesus is that are found only in John. And I think it requires just a little bit more listening, a little bit more thought to work your way through his gospel. So if that's been a little bit of a struggle, know you're not alone. In John 3, which we actually looked at out of order during our Christmas season, Jesus is speaking about heavenly realities with a very earthly-minded Nicodemus. Do you remember? All that stuff about being born from above and being born again. As we listened in on their conversation, Nick's antenna is tuned in to the signals of the earth, and Jesus, it seems, is speaking with the signals that are coming from God's kingdom. 
And as we watch that conversation unfold, it's almost like Nicodemus is one of our relatives. Because it often unfolds the very same way with us. Jesus is broadcasting in FM, and all we have are AM antennas. Well, while I'm inviting you to join me this morning to tune in to John chapter 4, I really want to invite you to, to ask through your own heart, through the power of the Spirit, that an FM tenna would be provided. That as we read God's Word, truly that's the Word that you hear this morning, and all of the ramifications, both earthly and heavenly, that come with it. And instead of just reading this text this morning, we're actually going to watch this text one more time as we see the um, DVD version of the Gospel of John. Watch the screen. So when Jesus heard what was being said, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. On his way there, he had to go through Samaria. In Samaria, he came to a town named Sychar which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by the trip, sat down by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw some water. Give me a drink of water. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink? Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. If you only knew what God gives, and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you a life-giving water. Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get that life-giving water? It was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. You don't claim to be greater than Jacob, do you? Those who drink this water will get thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring which will provide them with life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again. Nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. You are right when you say you don't have a husband. You've been married to five men, and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. You are a prophet, sir. My Samaritan ancestors worshipped God on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Believe me, woman. The time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship. But we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming and is already here, when by the power of God's Spirit, people will worship the Father as he really is, offering him the true worship that he wants. God is Spirit, and only by the power of his Spirit can people worship him as he really is. 
I know that the Messiah will come. And when he comes, he will tell us everything. I am he. I who am talking with you. At that moment, Jesus' disciples returned, and they were greatly surprised to find him talking with a woman. But none of them said to her, what do you want? Or asked him, why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the town. Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? So they left the town and went to Jesus. Would you bow with me? Father, we come to you in the name of this one who calls himself living water. And some of us honestly came in this morning parched more than we knew. In the AM world, it's just because our throats are dry this morning, we haven't had enough to drink. In the FM world, it's, it's much deeper than that. And we're asking you to, to please allow us to tap into that living water. Thank you for making yourself available this morning. Please, you know our flesh, we need help responding even. We also lift up, Father, this morning, Barnett Chapel because we know that they're thirsty too. And um, they're celebrating the living water as well. Would you please help them in every, every way in which they're trying to honor and glorify and make people aware of you so that truly all of us leave here today quenched inside and out. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. John 3 with Nicodemus. And John 4, with this unnamed woman at the well, are a little bit of a contrast, aren't they? It's hard to imagine that they could be much more different. If he was heads, she was tails. He had everything going for him. He was the kind of guy who was born on third base and thought he had hit the triple. Why? First of all, he was a man. And in this particular culture, that was saying a lot. Then he was a Jew. Then he was a ruler of the Jews to boot. Nicodemus had all of those things going for him. And those are the kind of people who have, I think, the hardest time opening up themselves to the deepest levels of what God tries to say in his Gospels. Because you see, your identity gets anchored in those things. It's like Tim Keller says about our jobs. The problem with getting your identity out of your job is if you succeed, it goes to your head. If you fail, it goes to your heart. Either way, it leaves you in a place where it's hard to hear the story of Jesus. Nicodemus is successful, though. But even with all those privileges, he goes out to see Jesus. However, we do notice he does so when the lights are down, when it's night. The windows have been closed. The wicks have been snuffed out. And in the quiet of the darkness, two men sit quietly but simply over some candlelight talking. But it's night. And on one level, what they're talking about sounds almost like a Laurel and Hardy conversation, in part because of the ambiguity of a Greek word called anathen. It can mean again or above, depending upon the context in which it's used. And so Nicodemus, or Nick at night, doesn't quite understand when Jesus is saying, you need to be born Anothen. Nicodemus is hearing again, like, you mean I got to crawl back into my mother's womb? He's saying, no, Anothen from above. Oh, you mean again, no, above, again, above. And it's, it's almost comical the way it takes place. 
Jesus is broadcasting in FM, and Nick has his AM antenna up. Jesus is talking about a birth involving God's hands. Nick is thinking about his mother's hands or midwife's hands. Jesus is trying to say this spirit of God, this, this one that was talked about with Elisha and Ezekiel, he's come. This is those last days. But this conversation with Jesus and Nick is a nighttime story. Over in John 4 now, it's daytime. Jesus is conversing with a woman, not a man. A Samaritan, not an Orthodox Jew. So this is someone who has, listen to me, nothing in her favor. As a matter of fact, she's got three strikes against her. Strike one, she's a Samaritan. And you know from your past Bible studies and past sermons, that's a problem. That the text says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Which I think is interesting because technically and geographically that's true. In fact, the way the crow flies from Jerusalem to Galilee, it would take you straight through Samaria. But Jews tended not to take that route. They avoided Samaria. They tended to slip around on the coast to the west, cross over the Jordan River, and go around to the east side and avoid this blight on the land known as Samaria. See, these were the folks that were all left behind whenever the Jews were exiled. The poor folks, the least folks that were left behind, and they had all inbred with other nationalities and were now half-breeds. And it had become a slur word to the Jews. As a matter of fact, they alluded to Samaritans something along the lines of, can it get lower than a snake's belly? Can it get lower than a Samaritan? No. As a matter of fact, it's echoed here in some of the narrative language that's used in John's text in association with Samaritans in general. In fact, one way to translate this text is that Jews don't drink after Samaritans which doesn't take a lot of imagination for us to think back in some of our dark aspects of our country. You remember those times when we didn't drink after each other? When we had our separate water fountains and our separate bathrooms? We weren't allowing mixing with the wrong kind of people, where the Samaritans were the wrong kind of people. Contact with them would make you unclean. Contact with them was contact with a half-breed, not with the pure people of Israel. You do well to stay away from their kind, but not Jesus. He's going right through Samaria, and John has the words, he had to, which is interesting to me. Why does he have to? Other Jews didn't have to. I think it's because of what's found in John 3, specifically 16. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, there's the had to, whoever would believe in him, wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Samaria is included in that whoever. Jesus had to go through there because they needed to know about this eternal, incredible, amazing life that God was making available. The text says that while traveling there, verses 6 and 7, Jesus gets tired and he sits down next to a well, just a common everyday well. And those are just common everyday words that sometimes we can just move right past to get to the others. But I want you to know in the first century, when Christianity is being defended as the way, the truth, and the life, those weren't small words about him being tired. Because they marked words of his humanity, of him being made exactly like us, not some spiritual apparition, but a human being just like you. He was the God-man. And as a man, he got tired. He got hungry. 
He wasn't this ever-ready bunny who could fly around all day and just keep going and going and going. No. God took up residence in a body that had limits. Fully God, fully human, and he got tired. And so though they are in Samaria between two mountains, Mount Ebal and Gerizim, where this little amphitheater had a little well next to it, Jacob's well, and the disciples head off to Samaria's version of Popeye's fried chicken or taco costa because it's lunchtime and they're hungry. And they're off to get some food. And after they leave, Jesus sees a woman. You know the story. She's coming to draw some water. And he starts talking with her, which in that culture, listen to me, was taboo. You didn't do that. You didn't speak with her, partly because he's a rabbi and, and, and any rabbi wouldn't be caught dead speaking to any woman that wasn't his wife but particularly not her to even come close might make him unclean she's a woman strike one she's a Samaritan strike two and strike three this woman's got a bit of a past she's been married we know five times where in the world did those five guys go am I the only one who's been asking that question this week did they die has she got some kind of reputation for being a black widow where she's at I don't think so we get the impression she's been divorced five times. Now, mind you, that didn't mean she decided to leave five times. That's not how it worked out in Jesus' culture. That's five times she's been abused. That's five times that she's been booted out the door by some man in a patriarchal society who decided he wanted an upgrade. That he'd find somebody else. Five times she's been shoved out the door, and now... For protection and livelihood, the man that she's living with isn't even her husband. But she'll settle for that. Again, the contrast. Nicodemus slinks away at night to have his conversation with Jesus. This woman is here at high noon, midday. What's up with that? Why high noon? What's she doing here getting water now? That's not when most women get water. Those of you who've traveled around the world or maybe on a mission trip like several of you here in this church have, those of you who especially been to either Asia or Africa, you've seen firsthand the constant demand to haul water from the water source to your home or business place. When we were in Bazua, Ghana, every single morning women were traveling from wherever they needed to come from to a water source, and they had jars, they had anything that could hold water possibly, and they were carrying it just like you've seen on television on their heads. It was just an easier way for them to transport that. But they didn't do that at high noon. They did that in the morning and they did that in the evening. But not this woman. We're not certain as to why. It's probably because the other women didn't wander around. She wasn't their kind either. It sets up quite the contrast again with Nicodemus, doesn't it? All the privileges that he had as a Jewish ruler and then all the scandal that's associated with her. This woman preferred the heat of the sun over the heat of the townspeople's scorn. Jesus asks her for a drink. <laughs> Sounds so simple. Just ask her for a drink. But he's recognizing the potential scandal he's starting. And she responds, why in the world would you want to drink from me? Why would you want to drink from me? And this is when it gets really interesting. In verse 10, Jesus says, ah, oh, honey, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for you to give them a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <laughs> and I love the visual, the little smirk that comes across her face. 
Oh, really? <laughs> Where's your bucket? <laughs> where, where is your jar? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He came and he brought his bucket when he got water for him and his sons and his animals. Where's yours? Jesus is broadcasting an FM though. And she only has her AM antenna up and they're not quite connecting. But she's curious enough to know that she wants to know more about this living water. And so Jesus speaks to her about this water that's going to well up, he says, with eternal life. Not, not the heavenly kind, but the forever, never-ending kind that we can experience here on this globe, on this orb. God's life here and now. And you don't get that from the wrong kind of water. In middle school, we learned what some of the wrong kind of water is, remember? Salt water, that's the wrong kind of water. No matter how good it looks, no matter how enticing it appears, when you're thirsty, you don't want to drink salt water. Because you just want to drink more and more and more and more. It, it, it has the, the, the sense that you're full, but you're not. You're, you're still thirsty, and your body still hasn't received what it's needed to have that thirst quenched. Kind of like some of us, thinking all those likes on our Facebook page is going to quench the thirst. That's the wrong water. Or thinking that this sexual freedom that we're enjoying at the moment is going to quench the thirst, but it's the wrong water or more money, or new jobs, or a new car, and you drink, and you drink, and you drink, and you never have that thirst quenched. It's the wrong water. And sometimes you get so dehydrated and trying to drink the wrong water, you wind up in places like a rehab center, or bankruptcy, or a divorce court. And that's not just a problem for the people of the world, is it? God says, no, my people, in Jeremiah 2, won't turn to me. To me, the living stream of water, they instead dig these nasty cisterns that they choose to drink from instead, this disgusting water that's destroying them. Jesus says, the living water is right in front of you. I'm right here. Sir, give me that water, verse 15, she says. I don't want to get thirsty again, and I don't want to keep coming back here to draw this water. I want some of that living water. She's still leaning into her AM antenna, isn't she? She's still thinking about this long, arduous walk to get this water in the heat of the day and the humiliation that she's trying to avoid to come get this water then. But Jesus is offering a water of a different kind. And it's not just enough to say the right kind of water. No, it's the water. The water. And so he takes her a little bit deeper in the conversation than probably she wants to go. Um, Ma'am, verse 16. Would you go get your husband? No name calling, no, no shaming. He's just engaging her on a conversation on a different level to take her to a place she's never been. Um, I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five. And the one that you're living with now is not your husband. Busted, we would say. At this point, this Samaritan woman realizes this isn't your average Joe. Rabbi. At the very least, he's got to be a prophet. If you're a prophet, can I ask you a question? And you know the question. You saw it on the film a few moments ago. We, we, we Samaritans think that we need to worship God here on this mountain, and you think it's in Jerusalem. Which one is it? So many times I've heard and I've taught 
that this was kind of a redirect on her part. You know, Jesus is getting kind of personal here, so she's going to get theological. Let's, let's just push that back out there with a religious question, okay? I don't think so. I may be wrong, but I think this is one of those questions that she had been thinking about on her journey from the house to the well, and bingo, she wants to ask someone who might be able to answer it. I think this is a searcher that we have here. It's part of the reason why Jesus makes the point to get to where she's at so that he can share the right water, the water with the person. Where do you meet God? She's asking. Forget the mountains for a second. Where do you meet God? And hearing that question, in my estimation, puts her way up there with those in life who are searching for answers. She isn't asking, uh, did Adam have a belly button? She's not asking, will Wednesday night church attendance count, really? She's not asking any of those kind of questions. She's asking, where in the world do I meet God? Is it here on Mount Gerizim or is it in Jerusalem where you Jews say you meet him? And at first it sounds almost like an either or a question. Okay, I, I need to know which one. Where do you meet God? And Jesus responds this way, and I love it. Place worship is on the way out, young lady. Can I say that again? Place worship is on the way out. It's a new day. The living water that I'm offering wells up from within. It's experienced in worship that's marked by, led by, filled by two things, spirit and in truth, which in John's gospel are always tied to one person, that's Jesus. The worship that I'm telling you is coming and now is here is worship in spirit and in truth. We don't need to head to Gerizim Church. We don't need to head to Jerusalem. We don't even need to head to the KCC building. You can worship this God anywhere. Now, when you bring your worship to the KCC building, really cool things happen. But only when you bring your worship here. We worked too long for too many years to try to get you to worship here. That didn't work well, does it, Raymond? Now, if you bring it, oh my goodness. And you can tell on the Sundays that you bring it. Oh my goodness. I love being here when we do that because we worship him everywhere in spirit and in truth. But we bring that worship here to this place occasionally. A different power is going to be at work. A different kind of truth is going to be at work, Jesus is trying to say to her. It's going to bring about a different kind of worship, we hope. Church, back in Ezekiel, in the last nine chapters, you'll find the prophet saying, there's a new temple that's coming. And out of it's going to come a river of water that will flow into this land and make it flourish like never before. And Jesus is trying to say to this woman, it's happening. The temple Jesus is right here. He is the place where we meet God. He is the place where we meet God. Wherever, whomever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus is where we meet him. Because when you could not get to God, he came to you. Now that's good news. The woman said, well, um, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Don't you love the irony of that? And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Don't you know she was hoping he would say that? Man, if this is ever a moment like Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks in the park at the end of the movie, you've got mail. I was hoping it was you. Now, only the women are getting that right now at this moment. That's okay. Tell them about it later, all right? 
I was hoping it was you. And I love that Jesus chooses then and here to make his identity known. Hopefully then and here that he's making that identity. I'm he. I'm the water. The, the water. Not just the right water. The water. Come on. Have some. I love that he chooses to reveal this to her, not to King Herod. He didn't talk to an audience of the Sanhedrin. He doesn't hold court in a Roman colonnade somewhere. No, he announces his identity to a woman who's been rejected in the shade of a well and a whole nation right now for the moment that's outcast. And I think his eyes must have lit up when he said the words, I am he. Well, about that time you saw it on the video a few moments ago, the disciples start returning. Well, while they're returning, she's running. And, and we don't know whether she's ashamed. We don't know what's going on here. But, but then we start seeing she's talking to this person in the village and this person in the village. And the, and the Bible goes on to say, then leaving her water jar, this woman went back to town and said to the people, you just got to come. You got to come see this guy who told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. And that's where, for this week, the scripture closes. Let me wrap things up this way. We're just about out of time. For many of you, not some, for many of you in this room, this woman's story may be touching, but it's far removed from your story. I got to be honest, I was really heartbroken when I heard a lot of the Medina moms weren't going to be here this morning. Because I have a feeling that quite a few of them can identify well with this woman in the story. Some of you can't. You belong. You're needed, and you know it. You've got more friends than you can visit, and you've got more tasks than you can accomplish. Insignificance doesn't haunt you. Now, if that's true, be grateful. Not just in the supper, but be grateful. Be grateful for that. God loves that for you. But then there's the others who are different. You know why the Samaritan woman was avoiding people. You do the same thing. You know what it's like to have no one sit by you at potluck. You know what it's like not to have someone call you and see what you're doing for the weekend. You've wondered, what would it be like to have one good friend? You've been in love and you wonder, is it worth the pain to ever try that path again? And you too have wanted to take the mask off. I mean, really, take the mask off. You've wanted to stop pretending. You've wondered what God would do if you opened up your cobweb-covered door of secret sin. What would he think? And this morning you're leaning in, wondering, how is Jesus going to treat this person who's on the fringe, who's an outsider? Will it be with criticism? Will it be with anger? Will it be with a, look at what mess you've made of your life again, lecture, what you've heard a hundred times. What does he want from her? And I hope you saw it. Just honesty and transparency. And please note, because she offers it, we have our first missionary to Samaria. Now, I know sometimes Philip is credited with that in Acts chapter 8, or we at least think about it that way. But here's your first missionary to Samaria. This unlikely, unaccounted for, unnamed, unnecessary, five-time divorcee Samaritan woman at a well.
that's good news for many of us. Not for all of us, but that's good news for many of us. I'm going to end with a question. Church, you thirsty? Not really looking for a verbal response. Just, are you thirsty? And I know you're thinking, well, what do you mean? A.M.? Like my throat's thirsty? Parched a little bit? You've been talking about water? Yeah, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Bone dry, sportsman. Hurry up and finish so I can go get a drink. You're talking about the F.M. thirsty. The kind of thirsty where, no, you're right. The likes from Facebook, you're just not doing it. And the job's not doing it. And the mate's not doing it. And trying to get myself back into shape again is not doing it. It's just leaving me parched. Well, on both accounts, can I say good? The water you need is right in front of you. It's around you. By God's grace, it's, it's, it's able to reach out and touch you because we've got so many Christians, Christ followers here in this room in which the Spirit has moved inside that can reach around you and pull you in and never let you go. To where you would never have to be alone again if we do what he's called us to do well. If we respond, as Greg said this morning, in, in thankfulness like, like we could and should. And I hate to use the word odd, but I mean, come on. He's filled us up with so much. Let it spill over on that person next to you, even if maybe they're a little uncomfortable with it. And it creates a little scandal. God help us. Offer the water that we've received. Amen. We're going to sing a song here in a moment. And if all this has kind of been your AM, I've been talking FM, but, you know, I'd like to hear some more about that. Would you come find me? And we'll talk some more about how this living water can become the living water for you in your life. But if you're my brother or sister here this morning, here's my hope. I hope you've been reminded that no matter whether it's a good day or a bad day, that you realize you have a Savior who's experienced both all right? And will help you live through whichever one you're experiencing today. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I hope you get such a drink of that that when you leave here, you can't keep your mouth shut. You've got to find somebody. Somebody's got to know about this in my life. That's what I call well water. If you've ever had well water, that doesn't taste so great most of the time. Oh, but this well water does. Take a drink, a deep drink. Let's stay in church, let's sing.